Hello, and welcome to another episode of Piecing the Parsha Together. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Kisisa. I apologize for it being late, but I tried recording earlier and it would refuse to upload. So we will do the best with what we have. This week's Parsha focuses on primarily the Egel HaZahav. However, the first Aliyah, which is about 30 to 40 psukim in length, um, also talks about things that are related to the Mishkan, so to speak, the last touches of the Mishkan. And a question could arise is why is it that if you have two partios almost exclusively dedicated to things related to the Mishkan, Truma, which is much more focused on the Kalim, shall we say, and Tetzava, which is much more focused on the Kohanim, why is it that we seem to have last little bit of things related to the Mishkan discussed in Parshas Kisisa. So, the Rabbeinu Bar-Chaya made a comment in Parshas Truma that the reason why the commandments for the Mishkan precede the Chet Egel is because it wants to be clear at the outset that Ben Israel have already been forgiven for the sin, before the sin is even mentioned in the Torah. I think that it is possible that the Topics under discussion in the first Aliyah of Parshish Kisisa perhaps show an extra connection to the Chet Egel. Many times perhaps focused on the idea of Teshuva. The first thing discussed in the Parsha is the Shkolim, the Machatitha Shekel. And <clears throat> the Balatorim comments that the discussion about the horns of the Mizbeh HaZahav, the golden altar, which is mentioned at the end of Parsha Tetzaveh, and it says that the Kohen will put uh, blood applications on there on Yom Kippur. So you put that next to Kisisa because um, we need to offer a Kofir Nafsho on Yom Kippur, which is the same wording in the Pasuk uh, about Shkolim. So you have to, it says, and it's a custom to offer to talk about giving Staka on Yom Kippur. So that is the first comment um, that shows us there's a kind of a link to to Shuva and um, specifically the Shuva on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is when Bnei Israel got forgiven for the Chet Egel. The Sforno says that the idea of a count represents a person's changed status and a, as a result of sin. He says sin changes a person. And he quotes a Gemara that says, Ein Nisa Balochet. So therefore, uh, we're talking about the, the count and the idea of the machzitz shekel of even half is after the sin, where Bnei Israel is only half a person. So again, we see a connection uh, to teshuva, perhaps, and to the idea of chait and picking up after chait, and that is represented uh, in, in uh, the shkalim. And then, the next thing discussed in the Parsha is the Kior. Again, uh, another one of the Kalim in the Mishkan, one of the vessels. This one is the sink. But we've had all the Kalim discussed in Parsha's Truma. We had reasons given perhaps last week as to why the Mizbeach HaZahav, the golden altar that they offered the Ketaras on, why that would have been out of uh, out of where it seemingly would have gone. What about the Kior? So, on a basic level... The Sforno, I believe there are other Rishonim as well, say that it's 
something that is not related to Hashem Shechina dwelling in, in the Mishkan. It's rather something that the Kohanim have to use to prepare themselves. Okay. But there is also the question of the origin of the Kior. The Kior came from the mirrors, the Maros Tzvos, it says in Parshish Vayakel. And Ibn Ezra says that that's why it's not mentioned with the rest of the Kalim, because it doesn't come from the same communal funds. However, the uh, people who gave the Maros Tzvos were the women. And specifically, uh, when the Chet Egel occurs, Aaron tries to delay the men, saying, go get the jewelry from your wives. He hoped that they wouldn't give it. And in fact, they don't. And the men have to give their own. Unless anyone thinks that it's because the women are just stingy and attached to their jewelry, you see, no. They gave freely to the, um, the Mishkan and even the Mirs. So again, we see a connection, right? This Kior has a, has a certain aspect of sort of the, the lack of sin uh, from the Chet Egel. Okay, and um, on a simplistic level, a practical level, the <coughs> Ibn Ezra comments that the Shemin Hamishra, which is the next thing discussed, um, is something that is going to be mentioned here because it also wasn't brought by the communal funds. It was from the Nassim, and as, as, so too the Katoris. So practical level, we can understand why these are mentioned here. Or maybe we're, while we're talking about something else that is not from the communal funds. However, um, there might be an even deeper significance to the the Shemin HaMishcha and the Ketoros. Again, Shemin HaMishcha was the anointing oil for the Kalim and the Kohanim. And the Ketoros obviously is brought... Um, is, is the incense. So first, uh, there's a piece in the Call of the Torah by Beliyahu Monk, page 432, where he highlights that these last three things discussed as part of the Mishkan, um, you have water, and then different you know, choice spices, this is how he describes the Shemin Ha Mishka, and then sweet spices. So he says, I'm not sure exactly how it's connected to holiness, however, he says, water symbolizes ultimate purity. Water was from the Kior. And the spices uh, could be from far off places. And the Ketores has the Chelbona, which is even something that is uh, um, a foul odor, and it's mixed together. And the idea is that you should never say that even smaller things, water, foul-smelling spices, or spices from far away, that they don't have a, a place. And that would be a reference to all elements of of spirituality and spiritual pursuits. You could say that this is another lesson that is important for B'nai Israel to uh, perhaps keep in mind uh, always. And then you say even after the, this is something that would be relevant even obviously more so, perhaps after they have unfortunately come down a level from the Chita Ego. The Kliyakar specifically commenting on the Ketores says that, this is Pasuk Lamed Dalad Perik Mem, that Okay, we, we know the Gemara and Croesus, the reason why you have the Chalbana, which doesn't smell good, is because you have to have sinners from Israel joined together with any, any, any fasting. And he says the reason why that is is because if you don't have the sinners and all, it's only tzaddikim who are fasting, they are afflicting themselves for no reason. And you see that a Nazir is called a Chote because he, with, he withholds wine from himself. So if these people are fasting unnecessarily, that would 
also be a problem. However, if there are sinners in their midst, then they are responsible for those sinners, and therefore they can fast as well. And he says, how, how do you tie this in specifically to the Ketores? He says that if your sinners come together with the Tzadikim and they, they do Cheshuva and they fast, from that the sins that they committed can almost be looked at as a means to help them get to the high spiritual ends that they're at right now. And then the sins could be looked at as schuyos. And he says that idea is encapsulated in the concept of reach nicholach, the pleasing aroma in front of Hashem. He quotes a pasuk in Yeshaya, uh, Perek Mem, pasuk base, kir nirza avona. Right? So you have... Um, another aspect, element of teshuva, the Ketoris doesn't necessarily always focus on that, but the way the, the it is being explained, if you talk about specifically the focus on the Chelbana, it's there. It is also a an interesting insight in some way that these two things, the Shem and HaMishcha, if it has some in it, and it does, it has the same, it has five, there's five uh, ingredients that overlap, and those are those are spices, and then the Ketoris is obviously there for aroma, um, if Bnei Israel is trying to do teshuva uh, and, and through and, and from Kabbalah Satara get to the level of Adam Rishon and Kodamachet, right? So it the chet of Adam Rishon when Adam sins by eating from the the tree of knowledge, the the psukim describe all the different senses except smell. So is there a, perhaps a deeper thing here to the ideas of sort of transcending uh, sin or things that were never involved in the original sin in the first place, and that could be you know alluded to with the Kitoris. Um, the final things discussed after the, you know, sort of the, the different items of the Mishkan is there's a discussion of Betzalel and Aholiyav as the people who will engage in the construction of the Mishkan, as well as a commandment about Shabbos. Um, there is a, a chapter in Fisher, Rabbi Fishelmel Sefer Shifte Israel, where he discusses the ideas of Yehuda from Shevet Yehuda and uh, Betzala from Shevet Yehuda and Ahaliah from Shevet Dan, and how they help in their in individual ways provide Shuva for the Chet Ego. I think going on the assumption that the Mishkan is something that's after the Chet Ego. And um, Shabbos, obviously, you know, from a from a you know somewhat practical thing, if we're talking about building the the um, Mishkan, you have to tell the people that. Um, they can't do it on Shabbos. And uh, as you say, the, the Shabbos sort of comes as a bookend to the, as a, you know, as a, maybe an epilogue to the construction of the Mishkan, the commandments on the construction of the Mishkan. By the way, you can't do any of this stuff on Shabbos. It is interesting that in Vayaka, when it talks about the construction of the base of Mikdash, of the Mishkan, Shabbos is mentioned first at the very beginning of Parshish Vayakel. It could be that um, that is there because once at, at the outset, when you're actually going to do the construction, Hashem would feel the need to tell them at the outset, don't do it on Shabbos. But I wonder, perhaps, if there is a, a emphasis on B'nai Yisrael um, post-Chait. Maybe they would um, have been more careful with Shabbos, and it is something that only has to be mentioned sort of at the end, oh, by the way, you can't do this. And perhaps if they're on a lower level at the outside of the Mishkan, Hashem has to make sure that that is as clearly stated. Perhaps there's more of a risk that we wouldn't have been as careful about that. Um, regardless, the very beginning of Parshish Kisisa, right before the, the tragedy of the Chet Egel, that there's you know, sort of there's a conclusion of the discussion of the Mishkan, 
And the idea, I guess you would maybe say something along the lines of nobody should think for even a moment that, you know, B'nai Yisrael was doomed. Because the Mishkan has already been detailed. The inauguration and the garments for the Kohanim who will serve in the Mishkan has already been detailed. And even at the beginning of this Parsha, there are some finishing touches, which perhaps in their own way may further allude to B'nai Yisrael's ability to obtain Teshuvah. And uh, that seems, you know, fairly appropriate. And we should always remember that no matter what happens, right? Like, like Rav Monk said, we're, we're never, we always have, we have a role to play. And, uh, you know, B'nai Yisrael has, a, has something special. And again, the, the Parsha of Shabbos focuses on Shamru B'nai Yisrael, Esha Shabbos. They kept the Shabbos, Lasso, Shabbos, the door of Samri Solom. They did it forever. But it's an os between Hashem and B'nai Yisrael. So our special status, uh, no matter what. I wish you all a good Shabbos. Thank you for listening and hope to see you again next time.